got an eager group of King's Kids here today. So first thing I need to do is dismiss King's Kids. If you are in second grade or younger, we have a special little service just for you. So you are dismissed. Let me do a quick head count here. Four, five, six, seven. Oh, Jerrica, it's not your day today. <laughs> I think I counted 16 and two down the hall, so uh, they're going to have a great old time. Marty, you're the backup plan. Just <laughs> to make sure nobody escapes. Uh, that's good. Uh, so let's have our scripture readers come up first. Turn to Proverbs 29. We can do our scripture reading this morning. Proverbs 29. So follow along. After we do our Proverbs reading, we will do our Advent reading. Go ahead. Proverbs 29. A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. By justice, a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. Whoever flattens his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. An evil man is snared by his own sin, but a righteous one can sing and be glad. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Mockers stir up a city, but wise men turn away anger. If a wise man goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is no peace. Bloodthirsty men hate a man of integrity and seek to kill the upright. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will always be secure. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. When the wicked thrive, so does sin, but the righteous will see their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. When there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law. A servant cannot be corrected by mere words, though he understands he will not respond. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. If a man pampers his servant from youth, he will bring grief in the end. An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. The accomplice of a, thief, of a thief is his own enemy. He is put under oath and dare not testify. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Many seek an audience with the ruler, but it is from the Lord that man gets justice. The righteous detest the dishonest. The wicked detest the upright. Before we light the candle of hope, Eliza has a reading. Hope. Today begins the season of Advent, a time for followers of Christ to spiritually prepare for the celebration of the birth of Christ as well as the return of Christ. 
Advent always begins four Sundays before Christmas and ends on Christmas Eve. We light candles on each of the four Sundays to remind us of the reasons we prepare. The first candle is called the prophet's candle and emphasizes hope. Prophets proclaimed to the people of the Old Testament that, the, that a Messiah was coming. Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. For to us a child shall be born, to us a son shall be given. Micah 5. But as for you, Bethlehem, <laughs> too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth. Who is to be rule, ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times? But even with these prophecies, no one knew when this was to happen. So the people waited and continued to look forward to hope. Maybe you're looking forward with hope for something to happen. Maybe you have circumstances in your life that you hope for and even pray for. Maybe they'll come your way or be answered just like you want them, and maybe they won't. But the hope we have in Jesus is different. It has purpose and endurance. It never disappoints us. It doesn't fade in dark or difficult times. It is a living hope because he is a living God. He is, he is faithful and eternal. As J. Kim writes in Hope in, a, in Expectant Leap, this is what Christian hope looks like. It doesn't ignore fear, anxiety, and doubt. It confronts them. It holds steady, clinging to peace in the midst of chaos through life's most treacherous storms. Christian hope is buoyed by something greater that has happened and something greater that is going to happen. Thank you. In Jesus, our hope is different than all other hope. In Jesus, our hope is bigger than all other hopes. In Jesus, our hope is stronger than all other hopes. In Jesus, we find the light of the world, a hope in your deepest darkness and your greatest pain. In Proverbs 29, I see hope. Hope in the darkness. And I see it in more than just the few verses we are going to look at. But I had to stop. Once you get on that hope train, um, which is a good thing, you see it everywhere. <laughs> it's just one of those things. When you start looking for it, you can't stop seeing it. And I hope that is true for you this Christmas season, that everywhere you go, every song you sing, every ugly sweater you see will remind you that God has a sense of humor. And He doesn't really care what we look like. He cares what we think and what we believe. There's hope in that. There's hope that we don't have to have it all together. There is no dress code for heaven. Amen. But there is a narrow path. And Jesus says, He is it. Proverbs says the narrowness of that path is the fear of the Lord. Jesus is the wisdom and knowledge of God. He is the fear of the Lord. 
To fear the Lord properly, you have to have Jesus Christ. So the book of Proverbs is still relevant today. Proverbs 29, look at verse 1. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And the first thing that came to my mind was Judas. The second thing that came to my mind was, oh, Peter. Judas, did he not hear the wisdom of Jesus, see the miracles of Jesus, hear the grace and the forgiveness that was in Jesus, but stiffened and stiffened and stiffened and was broken? What happened to Judas, Eric? He committed suicide. He wept over his sin. Peter also wept over his sin. And if you were to ask Peter on the night that he betrayed Jesus, Judas did, Peter denied Jesus. If you were to ask him that night about Proverbs 29, have you been suddenly broken beyond healing? I think he would have said, yes, I let him down. It's over. But was it? They both let Jesus down. Next blank. One of them repented and found grace. Yes, Peter felt like he was broken beyond healing. But there was a glimmer of hope in his life, which is why he did not take his own life. He, I don't think he understood it all. I don't think any of the disciples really understood the resurrection that was coming. He didn't quite get it, but he understood there was, there's more. It's, it's, he was quiet. A few days later, he runs to the grave, but he walks away questioning the empty tomb. So the women who were like excited, rejoicing, they got it quicker than the, you know, thick dudes. There was just, there was a lot in the way. But I don't think Peter ever lost all of his hope. He wasn't hopeless. He may have thought he was broken beyond healing, but he wasn't. And I'm here to tell you this morning, whatever glimmer or sliver of hope you can find in your darkness, hang on to it. There really is more. No matter how much you've betrayed other people, yourself or your God, don't give up. I don't think Peter knew much. Peter says, eh, let's go fishing. <laughs> Remember that story? Talk about defaulting to your most basic instinct, Mr. Mark. I don't know what to do today. Might as well go fish. That's what I know how to do. He has an encounter with Jesus. He was waiting. Was he, was he being faithful? Was he at the temple? Was he helping other people? No, he was helping himself. It didn't look great, but he hadn't given up on life. I think there was a sliver of hope there. Jesus reproved him, 
and he finally yielded. I think there's hope in Proverbs 1. As long as you are alive on planet Earth, there's hope for you to bow your knee, confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you can find healing. So be careful. Biblical hope keeps us going and living in day-to-day life as we patiently, sometimes tearfully, wait for God. Faith and hope in Jesus leads us to talk about Jesus in the middle of our pain. It Hope leads us to the cross to remember what Jesus did in his death and his resurrection. Hope takes our focus off of our circumstances and puts them where our focus should have been from the very beginning on Jesus, who he is, what he has said, what he has done, and everything else starts to fade away. And we need it to fade away. We need the pressures of life to fade away. Don't stiffen your neck to the hope that is in the Bible. Keep coming to this well over and over and over again. And you can find healing in your brokenness. And then verse 3. Verse 3 says, He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Talk about hanging out with the wrong people. Hanging out with somebody who loves you, your father. Hanging out with people who are just going to take advantage of you. Temporary friends. And the, the first New Testament illustration I could think of was the prodigal. The prodigal's son. Uh, yeah, that's him. Was his father glad when he asked for his inheritance? No, that was a slap in the face. Dad, you're not dead yet, but I wish you were. Give me my half. Inheritance doesn't come until your parents are dead. Parents aren't dead. I wish you were dead. Give me my half. Uh, We usually talk about how gracious the father is at the end of the story. Like, I'll, I'll make you dead right now. Son, you don't talk to your dad that way. He had every right in his culture and in his time. This is dishonoring. This is disobedient. Drag him to the temple. Let everybody else stone him. Lot plenty of witnesses. I see grace at the very beginning of this story. That his father said, You're not going to learn any other way, are you? Here you go. Yikes. But when we reflect upon the story of the prodigal, We see that hope realizes its sins, realizes it has made mistakes. Hope, hope can be there in the middle of a pig pen, no matter what the smell, no matter how broke you are, no matter how far you are away from the people you love. Hope says, I can get back. There there is a dad who loves me any way. Now, hope doesn't make plans that are ridiculous. 
I'm going to go back and take back my bedroom. Now, what, what was the plan of this son who had squandered his father's wealth and brought disgrace on the family name? What, what was his plan? Oh, I'm, when I get back, I'm going I'm to get on my knees. I'm going to tell him I'm sorry. I'm going to ask him to make me a servant because there, there's enough food to feed my father's servants. Even during this famine, I'm eating pig slop. I just want to be a servant. Hope. Hope crawls to the Father with deep humility and a heart that is ready to serve and not be served. Real biblical hope changes your perspective. And the only thing that actually did that for that child was losing everything. It was bad decisions and sin. Like, God can use anything you have done, right or wrong. In fact, kind of specializes at it. He's not threatened by your sin. He doesn't approve of what you do, but it also doesn't stop him from getting your attention and bringing you back. Hope should make Christians the best servants on planet Earth because we have already crawled back to the Father with deep humility, and we are willing to serve anyone else. We do not just try to meet needs. We try to serve God through serving other people. Jesus tells prodigals to repent and seek God's grace. So there is hope. There's hope. Even if you've squandered your health, squandered somebody else's wealth, been a companion to all the wrong people, the warning of Proverbs, there's still hope. There's still hope. Come back. Verse 20. Verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. But there is hope for a fool, right? That's, that's, that's kind of what I, my sarcastic version says there's a little hope for a fool which means there's more hope for a fool than for him but there's a little bit of hope for somebody who's hasty in their words right like there's it's little hope but not none had to double negative that for my english teacher in the crowd but not none right like is that there's a little hope right like i can be hasty with my words make some mistakes but there's hope that I can get forgiveness. There's hope. I can still find grace? Or am I a lost cause? That, that, that's really where we usually go when we've done something wrong. Lost cause. Give up. Now, let me define hasty for you. To be hasty is to respond emotionally. It's to be reactionary. It's to be harsh. Or to sum it all up, hasty is selfish. You haven't taken the time to think of somebody else's perspective. You haven't taken the time to think of everything else going on, all the other moving parts. Hasty is just spitting it out. We try to sugarcoat that by saying, well, it's just hard love. No, it's just hard. 
Hasty is speaking without listening. And hurting without caring. There is a way to hurt somebody's feelings when you care about them so they know you care about them and not just what they've done. But hasty is just repulsive. When somebody is hasty with you, dismisses you, I mean, this is customer service nightmare season, right? And as soon as somebody gives us the cold shoulder, they, they just deal with our issue and then, no, no, I, need, I had more questions than that. Like when, when people are hasty towards us, we kind of resent that. We don't like that at all. And I, guilty, confession time, that's how I have treated my kids. When they're, they want to just talk to you, they want to tell you everything about this coloring picture that just colors randomly and, and they want to explain it and you've got some grown-up stuff to talk about. It's hard to stop and listen when we all have a naturally selfish heart that wants to move on with our own agenda and there's the problem. Hasty is a sign of selfishness. There's hope. However, good, good grief if there's hope for a fool. That, did you see that? All the, the book's been like dogging fools, right? Be wise, not a fool. Be wise for a fool. Well, there's more hope for a fool than for somebody who's hasty. Like, wait a minute, you just went a notch below fool. Like, take note, first of all. Like, whoa, I, didn't, I was avoiding being a fool, but I need to dig a little deeper and also not be hasty because Proverbs just put hasty in a different category. Like, whoa, fools are, we, we understand they're selfish, they're self-centered, but then a fool is not always foolish. A fool can be a very sophisticated, well-dressed, well-educated person who doesn't have time to work at the food bank doesn't have time to go buy angel tree stuff or doesn't want to set foot in the Salvation Army. I'll give them my money. All those places need people more than they need your money. They need your time. A lot of them have plenty of resources. They just don't have enough people. To be hasty is to be selfish and to be isolated and to think that you can just fix problems from a distance. The opposite of hasty, I've been, trying to, I've been trying to think, what's the opposite of, if I'm not going to be hasty and selfish, I came up with this. The opposite of hasty, messy. Messy. Because if you're going to really get in there and help, you're getting right in the middle of people. And people are a hot mess. You got to smell them, you got to touch them, you got to be there. Right? We've served some meals at uh, the welcome table, have we not? You just got to get in there, rub shoulders with people. Listen to some crazy sometimes. There's a lot of mental health issues out there, and those people need attention. They need help, and as soon as you help them, they want to emote on you. They want a friend, and uh, it's hard. It's hard to go to a nursing home. For some of you, that's like, 
I'll send cards, I'll send flowers, but I don't want to go there. And some of it's memories, too. We've, you've been in those places and lost people. I get that. I get that. But let's be careful that we aren't shallow with our faith and unhelpful when we should be a people with so much hope that we are willing to step into anything. And, and I need to address empty optimism for just a second before I move on. Because there is this mindset in the world, I call it empty optimism, that says it will all work out. That's empty optimism. Oh, it'll, it'll all work out. Don't worry about it. It'll be good. It'll be fine. Yeah. Heard that from, you know, people in my own family. That's empty optimism. <clears throat> and then there's Christian optimism, which says things like, God. You got to say it like that. God will work it all out. You have to say it with an air of, you know, like, like you know more than other people. You got to let it like fall down on them because you're above them. That, that's Christian optimism. God will work it all out as you walk away. Um, and that's usually not helpful either. Uh, but what does biblical hope sound like? Biblical hope says this. How can God use me in this mess? How can God use me in this problem? In other words, biblical hope looks for where God wants to work and takes him there. Looks for where God is at work and joins him there. Biblical hope steps in and helps. Empty optimism? Nah, it'll be all right. We could name Christian optimism, just call that uh, Hobby Lobby optimism, because you, you know, most of the things you can put on a one-sentence <laughs> board picture, it'll be okay with God's help. Why don't you be God's helper? Why don't you jump in there and do it? And that changes the way you see reality when you realize you, you can step in and help people. Time out. You can't step into everything. You can't help everybody. So with your family, during your prayer time, with your church, ask and get discernment from others on where they think it would be best for you to help others because you need to have a plan there is so much need out there it will drown you it will depress you so you're what you need to do is find a way to help step in and help and then breathe thank you god for the opportunity to give and help and serve this way I know you need to go home. I know you need to go serve your family. I know you need to go to work. You can't just check out of all your responsibilities and just help, 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 help. Or can you? Some of the most famous saints in all of Christendom have been people who just said, my life, over. I will serve everybody who comes to me for the rest of my life. There are people who've sold everything. There are people who've gone around the world, given up their lives to foreign missions, become missionaries, sold everything here, moved there. Like, pick a level. 
pick a level with you and your family. If you don't know where that is or when to stop, get some help, get some discernment. Ask me, ask us, ask your small group. Where in the world can we step into the mess so we are not a selfish and hasty people? Proverbs is warning us against being a fool. It's warning us against being hasty. And I think the antidote to hastiness and foolishness is hope. Hope coming out of your mouth. I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. Do you know him? Have you met him? What do you know about him? What do you know about the origins of Christmas? Do you know the Christmas story? What do you think happened to that baby laid in a manger? You hear somebody singing a Christmas song, say, you know what that, who that baby grew up to be? Did you know that that baby Jesus became the walk on water Jesus, became the die on the cross Jesus, became the empty tomb Jesus, is now at the right hand of God Jesus? This is the time of year where you could take just about every song you hear, every t-shirt you see, and take it back to who Jesus really is. Brace yourself. It's going to get messy. That's okay. It's good for you. Dive in. How can God use me? That's so much more personal and missional and helpful than just a vague, distant, Typical responses we hear. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight or righteous or right is an abomination to the wicked. Here's what we have going on in this verse. The right hate the wrong, and the wrong hate the right. Those who are doing right see what is going on over here. It's abominable, like the snowman. That's what I think of. It's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. Those who are in the wrong are looking at the right saying, You're a hypocrite. There's no point. This life is all there is. There's no proof. And the two of them find each other detestable. Hope will make people hate you. And you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. Just being right with God makes you an abomination to some people. Because the truth convicts. If you are right, then the implication is they are wrong. But let me um, help you with what has helped me. They don't hate you. They hate God. Now, let's be really careful that the reason they hate you is not because you're a jerk or because you're selfish or because you said mean things, did mean things, took advantage of them. Like, if they hate you for the things you've done, that's on you. But to be hated for righteousness' sake, which is what the proverb is about, 
being right with God, being righteous. The only way to, to, to have that is to have the fear of the Lord. And if the fear of the Lord is in your life, you're living for him and not anybody else. When other people see you're living for him and not them, when they see you're following his agenda, not their agenda, when you're do, doing things according to his will, his purpose, not their will, not their purpose, they are butting up against God. They hate what God stands for. If you're standing with God, then side effect, they hate you and what you're standing for. They, that, that's just the way it is. But I think Jesus even injects some hope into that. Because Proverbs is the old retribution system in effect. Right and wrong, black and white. There's a lot of that. When Jesus steps onto the scene, he turns that, he takes that and makes that something new. Because what does Jesus say about hating anyone, but especially hating your enemies? What does, what does Jesus, how does Jesus, do you know what Jesus says about that, your enemies? How are you supposed to treat your enemies? Just keep hating them? Hate, fight, kill? Is that approved by Jesus? What do you think? Kill them? No. What's the alternative to killing them? Love them? Jesus, you are kidding. There ain't no way I can love somebody who hates me. I can pray for them. I'm going to pray that God takes them. Oh, not like that? <laughs> I'm going to pray a lightning bolt down on your behalf to assist you in your misery and put you out of it. No, <laughs> if grandma's praying for you, you better watch out, boy. <laughs> yeah, oh, I see how it is, yeah. What does Jesus do with this age-old enemy debate? He says, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, bless those who curse you, Revile them not. And Jesus doesn't just say it. Oh, man. He does it. During his sham of a trial and beating, during his crucifixion, he opened not his mouth against his accusers, He's the only human to ever take it like a man. That's it. The God-man. Because he wasn't just taking their insults. He was taking their sin. He was absorbing it all. And there's no one who's ever taken on the weight of sin that Jesus has. Jesus breaks the cycle, which Proverbs 29, 27 points out. That is a common human cycle. But there's hope in that. And the hope is Jesus Christ died so that you and I don't have to live that anymore. We do not have to hate those who hate us. In fact, we are commanded to pray for them, to witness to them, and to love them. No matter how dark that relationship gets, we don't give up. They don't hate you. They hate God, and they hate the hope that God gives. 
wait a minute. How can they hate the hope that God gives? Hope is a good thing. Jesus is a good thing. How can anybody hate a baby? How can anybody hate? I got three words for you. How can they hate what God gives? Dead, blinded, deceived. All human beings are dead and trespasses and sins until they accept the forgiveness offered in Jesus. All human beings are blinded by their own selfishness and pride until the Holy Spirit awakens them and saves them. All human beings are susceptible to being deceived by the lies of the devil and his minions until there is a power and spirit in us that is greater than the spirit that is in the world. How could anybody... Oh. How could anybody hate God? I got a better question for you. How could anybody love God? We can't. We are all dead and blind and deceived until Jesus himself brings the hope that we need. You don't even have to look for it. He delivers it. You don't have to mark it, put it on your Amazon list. You don't have to drop hints. You don't have to circle catalogs, old school, leave them on grandma's rocking chair. You don't have to rip pages out of newspapers and magazines and leave them on grandpa's recliner. Like Jesus delivers to you what you need. Your job is to receive it. As many as receive him are receiving the grace and the goodness of God. And with all of that comes biblical hope. Hope in a God who knows you and likes you anyway. Hope in a God who, when you were his enemy, died for you. Long before you ever expressed any kind of love or affection for him, he expressed affection and love for you. So maybe instead of asking how how do we do this? Uh, I phrased it this way. How do we hate the right way? <laughs> How do we hate the right way with, with the idea that we're going we're gonna to break this cycle, this abomination cycle, where the unjust man is an abomination to the righteous and one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. How do I break this abomination cycle? Step one, do good. Do good to those who spitefully use and abuse you. Step two, love God, love other Christians. You need to have some deeper relationships, deeper than just Sunday morning attendance. You need to have deeper relationships with other believers where you pray together, you eat meals together, you spend time together. You actually learn to love one another and then the third step, you just need to learn to have crazy love for your enemies. Crazy love, which basically is any kind of love for those who are against you, for those who are against God. Finding ways to express the truth to people who are dead, blinded, and deceived is is the easiest thing on planet earth. All you have to do is talk about Jesus, and then Jesus does the work. You don't save anybody. 
Jesus says, how does he do it? Through the truth. What is the truth? His words are truth. His words bring life. How's anybody going to hear then? Somebody has to be sent. Somebody has to go. Open your mouth this Christmas and bring some hope. Yes, some of your family members are going to hate your guts. Some of your coworkers aren't going to like that. Remember, if you're doing it the right way, they're not hating you, they're hating God, and do it anyway, because that's how you break the cycle of hate. The Bible is full of stories where the worst enemy becomes the best disciple. Remember that little short guy, Zacchaeus? Everybody hated that guy till he threw a party, till he gave away everything he stole. Remember that, um, remember that Pharisee named Saul? Everybody was afraid of that guy till God intervened, made him into Paul. You don't know what the power of God can do in the lives of the people around you. You need to talk about him. Then maybe they will get it. Do you get it? Do you get what this candle is about? Is it still burning down there? Good. I should have double-checked that sooner. The candle of hope means we get it. We are not trusting in the government to save us. Our hope is not in a job. Our hope is not in a paycheck. Our happiness is not dependent upon earthly things. To get the hope that God is talking about is to understand that we are loved and accepted in Him. And that's enough. It's not enough to have baby Jesus. We need the crucified, risen, and coming again Savior to rescue us right now. He can be with us right now. Biblical hope is active right now. Not just looking for the future someday, right now. The hope I have in Jesus is enough hope to make it through the holidays right now. Even if I don't get what I want. Hope in Jesus means I'll be okay even if I get nothing. Christian faith places its deepest hopes for love, our hope for acceptance, and our hope for happiness. We place our deepest hopes in Jesus. He is the hope of the prophets. He's the hope of all sinners. He's the hope of the world. He is our only hope of salvation. He is the future hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life. And Proverbs is saying over and over again, fear and love the Lord. The New Testament is saying over and over again, use Jesus to find peace with God. The whole Bible is saying the same thing. All history flows from Christ to Christ and through Christ. He is our only hope. Do you know him? Stand with me. Let's pray. Bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Is your current hope in Jesus working? 
Is he enough? Is there a part of you that is wishing you had more? Is there a part of you that is discouraged, unhappy, unmotivated? Just kind of coasting. Maybe it's pain or sadness that has derailed you. And the holidays just kind of make you numb. Or maybe you're just jittery with excitement over the sights and the sounds. Either spectrum. I want you to step back for just a minute and check yourself. Is Jesus your hope? Would you be okay if he came back today and there was no Christmas this year? Would you be okay if you spent Christmas alone with the Lord? Be careful that you do not wrap your happiness around anything other than Jesus or you will be a very unhappy person. So how are you doing today? Heavenly Father, focus our hearts and our minds on who Jesus is right now. He is our hope. He's the only one that died in our place, was buried in our grave, and resurrected from death itself to give us a future and a home and a hope of eternal life. God fanned this little flame of hope into a bigger fire in our souls that our hope would grow we need help this year. Protect our hearts and our mouths from being hasty. Protect our spirits from feeling like we are broken beyond any repair. Show us, God, how to break the cycles of hate that are all around us. We realize we need you. We kick off this Christmas season by saying, you are God. Help us to see where you are at work in Salvation Army and Our Daily Bread at the Welcome Table and Forgotten Ministries at Toys for Tots. Help us to see where you are at work so we can join you and have the opportunity to bless people in the name of Jesus. Give us a hope that is bigger than the hope we have now. That is our prayer. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
verse for today is from Romans 15 13 now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit Amen. you are dismissed